start into the message this morning. Uh, and so if you would, go ahead and get your, get your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Open up and get ready there. If you don't have it, it's going to be on the screen. But I just kind of felt like a lot of us maybe have had this prayer with God. And it's been going on for a long time. And this prayer goes something like this. God, I just need something. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I need something. And uh, I was thinking about, I had watched this movie recently, and there was a helicopter pilot, and he was, he was going out, and I think they were going out to, to save somebody, and they reached what they call the point of no return. And that was the point where, in the helicopter, they had a, enough gas to, it, it was better for them to get to where they were going than to turn around and try to go back. Because if they turn around and try to go back, the way back was a lot longer than to get to their destination point. And I kind of feel like there's some people in here that have just praying and asking God for something. And I feel, just kind of felt like God saying, you're past that point of no return. To not give up. That the sun, that the, that, that glimmer of hope, we're not there yet, but the sun's coming over the horizon. It's in the distance. And that place that you're wanting to go, you're closer to it than it would be for you to turn around and go back. Don't give up. Don't give up. There, there, there might be still some things that you have to go through. We're not quite there yet. That something that you're asking God for is still not quite in sight, but you're closer than you think. You're past the point of no return. Amen? Amen. So this morning we're going to look at the book of Colossians, this Labor Day weekend, while everyone is at the beach chilling, hanging out, and enjoying some rest. And uh, that, that's okay, too. That, that's awesome. But uh, I promise we're not going to make it too long this morning so you guys can go out and spend some time with your families and, and friends and just really en- enjoy the weekend and, and cease from laboring. No labor involved. No labor involved. That's a good thing. Come on now. You, you know what? You don't even have to flip in your Bibles. It's on the screen. Look at that. You don't even have to do that. It's so easy. No labor intensive. The book of Colossians. It's going to be fun this morning. Okay. Uh, we're going through the Bible. What we're doing is taking, taking de- these books, we're looking at them, and the hope is this, that we could get a big picture view, that we could take the Bible, we could look at these books and say, man, this is a big picture of God's work of redemption, of what's going on. And so that way, whenever we kind of dig down deep into some of the things, we understand it inside of the whole and what's happening. So this book is written by Paul. Paul is writing this book from prison from prison he's writing this book to the church of Colossae. um its location is important uh its location would be probably about a hundred roughly okay 120 miles to the east of ephesus ephesus was a port city uh kind of the happening place and Ephesus is the place where Paul spent a good majority of his time. Matter of fact, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other place. He spent three years there in Ephesus preaching and teaching the word. Uh, so this city would be uh, about 120 miles away, which 
back then, of course, there's no cars, no planes, none of those things. So it, it's a good journey to be able to travel that 120 miles uh, to this town of Colossae. Uh, now, also, by this town, roughly nine miles away would be another smaller town called Laodicea. This is a, a whole area. As a matter of fact, if you're reading uh, later on in the book of Revelations, um, uh, there's these letters to these churches. And we'll find there's a letter to this church of Laodicea that John is writing uh, to them. Now, this is important, uh, their location, because in this letter, a couple of times, uh, and a matter of fact, let me go ahead and read it at the very end. Paul makes reference to this church. Uh, chapter 4 in verse... 16. Now, when this epistle, that this letter, is read among you to the church at Colossae, when this letter is read, read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from them. So, in other words, there's this church, it's roughly nine miles away. Paul's writing this letter from prison to them, saying, Listen, I want to make sure that as you read this letter inside the congregation, inside the community, that you also share this letter with them, you also read their letter. Because there's some common traits that are happening. Now, this is, a, this is an important book, and it's a little bit different from some of other Paul's in the sense that this, Paul has never actually been to this town. You look at his missionary journeys and, and the trips that he's taken. This is, a, this is a letter to a people group that he's not physically been to. He didn't, uh, in the flesh, start this church. And so what's happened is that there is this, uh, this brother that we'll read in, in, in chapter 1 and verse 7. And his name, uh, you have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, on your behalf. This guy is the pastor inside this community. He has come to visit Paul in prison. Paul is sending back this letter to this church that they're sharing with the Laodiceans with this guy. And so he's been in communication with, with Paul. And they're telling him, hey, these are the things that are going on inside our, our community. These, this is the things that happen. The, the church is growing. Um, uh, these, thing, these things are going on. But I have a few concerns. And so Paul writes this letter back to this group of people and kind of addressing some of the concerns that this pastor has talked to Paul about. And remember, it's in reference to also as well being shared with an, another community. Obviously, it's being shared with all the churches uh, all over the place, and we're still talking about it today, but specifically with this Laodicean church that's uh, right outside of this town. Um, quick overview of the book. Uh, Colossians starts with uh, Paul's usual greeting. He greets the church, and then he goes right into the center of christ how christ is the center of all things um chapter two and three he addresses a few issues uh first and foremost he addresses the the idea of knowledge being turned into just this idea of it's just a philosophy and and christ just being kind of another good guy and we're going to talk about that uh and chapter three he addresses what it's to, it is just to live by the worldly wisdom of this world. And then in chapter 4, he gives his uh, farewell and, again, greetings and thanks to the people of this town. So why is this important? Remember, this is a town he's never been to. Letter coming back from a pastor that has 
shed some concerns. The very first thing that Paul does is shine light on the absolute just importance and center of Christ and the gospel. So we're going to read chapter 1 and verse 15, starting with verse 15, or starting with verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, created that in heaven and that are created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Are we seeing the pattern here of all things? All things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in all things, he may have preeminence. He's saying, listen, before we begin to address these issues, you need to know this up front, that Christ is the center. Christ is the center of everything, of absolutely everything, of not just, not just your life, of not just church life, not just uh, uh, humanity, but everything everything all of creation itself is being upheld by god it's his um i'd like you to see a picture of uh, an artist that you probably have heard of before salvador dali this is not a christian um little background on this picture uh salvador dali has this kind of dream again remember not a christian uh, he has this dream but in this dream he sees Christ. And he and it takes on two aspects. He sees a triangle. And if you look at this picture of Christ uh, from his hands to his feet, it takes the shape of a triangle. He also had in his dream a uh, it's like a, this picture of an atom in which Christ was the nucleus of the atom. And, and his interpretation of this this dream that he had was that Christ was the center of everything. That all, uh, even down to the atom, that, that everything that, that in this triangle, he said that for him represented just strength. That, that the strength of everything is coming from Christ. Again, not a Christian. And so he draws this, this amazing, famous painting of Christ and he, he puts them in this triangle just, just to kind of his point to show the world that Christ is the center. Christ is the center of everything. And, and I just love the fact that, that God used him to, to use this painting and he wasn't even a believer. Someone that's not even a believer saying, listen, all of humanity, all of the world is held up by Christ. Even the atom, even, even down to the smallest, smallest thing, to the biggest, biggest thing, all strength comes from Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here to this church. He's saying, listen, he is the image of the invisible God. And with him, all things were created. All things. There's a, uh, a book that I'd like to, to recommend. If you haven't read it, it's a nice little book. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. This is written by a guy named Brother Lawrence. It was, uh, Brother Lawrence was a monk back in the 1600s. And uh, he was just a normal guy. He actually was at this monastery and worked inside the kitchen 
He, he cooked dinner for, for the rest of the monks and for the people that would, would visit this place. He, he mowed the grass. He, he cleaned the floors. And this was his job. And uh, all of a sudden, people just began to kind of come from all over the world that heard about this monk that just, what he would say, practiced the presence of God. He just lived his life as if Christ was the center of everything he did. And, and people would constantly ask him, you know, how is it that, that you, you do these things? You just, you're cooking dinner and yet you're, there's something about you that it's different. And people were just attracted to him. Like, wow. And, and this is his comment to those people about uh, the life he lived. And he makes this comment while he's cooking dinner. I am doing now what I will do for all eternity. I am blessing God. I am praising him. I am adoring him and loving him with all my heart. In the midst of cooking dinner. See Christ, the center of all things. The center of when we attend church and when we gather as a community. The center of when we're cooking dinner for our family. The center of when we're, when we're just out on the beach hanging out or when you're working or you're painting a house or you're, or you're putting nails in the deck or, or whatever it is you're doing. We're doing what we're intended. God, I'm just glorifying you. That you would be the center of all things. But see, Christ is right. Uh, uh, Paul is right in this letter and to which Christ in some ways to this church has become just another good guy. He's kind of been put on the list of, well, there's all these different good people and the message of Christ is, is good. And so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of accept him. Eugene Peterson says this. Um, Few people are confronted with the gospel message and take it as unimportant. Even, if the, even those that dismiss the gospel message upon their hearing realize that this is an important message. So what's happened to this church is that they've heard the gospel message, but in some ways they've taken it as, well, Jesus is just another good guy. We'll, we'll kind of rank him with some of these other guys. Maybe today there's, there's those that would rank Jesus among, well, you know, there's Buddha and there's Muhammad and, uh, and there's all these things, and then there's Jesus. And so Jesus is another good guy. If you were to go over to India, uh, this kind of pluralistic uh, idea would be thrown in your face big time. You could walk down the street there and there would be all these different idols. There would be idols for, and there would be the elephant and there would be the lady with all the arms and there would be just hundreds of different idols and people would be offering their sacrifices to these idols. And then you'd, they'd go from one to one and then there would be the Jesus idol and then there would be the Virgin Mary and then they would just worship at that one and then go to the next one. And, and so you'd ask a, a, a lot of these Hindu people, you know, would you, you accept and believe Christ? Absolutely no problem. He's just another one of many gods. He's just another good guy. And Paul's saying, listen, that is not the case. There's something very, very different about Christ. He is the center of all things, the, the image of the invisible God. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Not just humanity, but creation itself. Um, I may have told this joke before, but I want to tell it again because it's pretty funny. There's this scientist, and they approach God, and they say to God, uh, listen, God, 
We just want to let you know that we really don't need you anymore. I mean, we've got cloning. We've got all this different scientific technology. We've grown so much that uh, we, we, we can take care of things ourselves. We pretty much got it under control. And to which God responds to him and says, well, how about we have a little contest? And to the scientist says, sure, no problem. We can do it. What kind of contest are you thinking? And God says, well, let's have a man-making contest. Uh, I'll make one. You make one. And, uh, um, but, but the thing is, you have to do it just like I did it the first time. And to which the scientist said, sure, no problem. I could take care of that. And so the, so the scientist reaches down and gets ready to grab a big handful of dirt. And God says, no, no, no. You've got to get your own dirt. I know, but it's a funny joke. I like it. But it, it, it stresses the importance of all things. All things. All things. Christ, the center. He, he, he hits the church with this. Chapter 2 and verse 6. As you therefore have received Jesus Christ, our Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now, here comes, here comes the charge. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. Here, Paul begins to address some, some of the things. Uh, the first, first thing he says here is, you, you don't want to be robbed. You don't want anyone to cheat you. First, first and foremost, how? Through philosophy and empty deceit. Through a bunch of knowledge that might sound good on the surface, but in reality, it's lacking. Uh, now, when it comes to education, I am the biggest uh, proponent for education. Uh, if anything, I feel like that is part of my mission as the pastor of this church to open the word of God and help di- educate and just help be a part of, of God breathing in your life um, in, in any forms. You know, my daughter, when she grows up, my hope is that she'll, she'll go on, she'll, get, she'll take her education and her college degree, wh- wherever, as far as she wants to take it. Um, and so I'm a, a huge proponent for education. Um, but education by itself falls short. It falls short. Um, you know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, you, you seek knowledge. But then there's the second part of it. Uh, in James, it tells us there's this man and he can look in a mirror, but then he can walk away and forget what he looked like. So it's not enough to just know. We have to act on these things that we've been taught. We have to learn. And what I've learned when it comes to, to really finding wisdom and knowledge, there's three things that have to happen. And these are three things that I believe every good teacher will do, no matter what arena it's in, whether it's in the church or the classroom, whether it's you as a parent teaching your children. There's three things that need to happen for knowledge to just not build itself up into a type of pride or, or, or whatever else it can manifest itself as. 
First thing is it has to touch your head. You have to know and understand these things that you say you believe. The second thing is it has to touch your heart. See, it's not enough to just know it, but there has to be something inside you that you have a passion. That it, it's not just that I just believe this thing. I love it. And, you know, it's easy to, to, to give a few facts about the gospel message. But, but the passion of knowing and loving Jesus is a whole other story. And when those things collide, they will always lead to this third thing, and that's your hands. Your, your head and your heart touch, and then all of a sudden, it touches your hands. In other words, it leads you into action. You just can't sit back with what you know and what you feel and do nothing. And sometimes, these systems that we create either will touch just one of those aspects, we create an educational system that just likes to fill, uh, or, or even in church, where we could just kind of fill ourselves with biblical knowledge and then take it home and, well, that's it. And then, and then it pretty much dies there where that man that has looked in the mirror walked away and forgotten what he's looked like. Or we have sermons and, and things of this nature that it's all about the, the heart and the passion, the emotion of, man, did, did you a, a see church today? It was awesome, and, and God was good. And Well, what did you learn? I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you believe? I don't know. It just kind of feels good. And, and see, the thing about this type of, uh, of life, if, if we live only on heart, it, it means we have no roots. And so that means the second that storms come and, and life gets hard, we give up very easily. Because we don't know how to give a ready defense of the gospel and the things that we believe and why we believe what we believe. And so our, our head and our hearts have to connect. And then that has to translate into our hands. Faith without works is dead. We can't just, we just can't have our, our heads and hearts and then, and then sit back and do nothing. There's, there's something beautiful about when we get active and we begin to show the love of Christ in our lives and, and in our families. And we begin to, to pray together with our, our husbands and wives. And we begin to pray for our children. And we begin to, to love people in the workplace that, that use us. And we begin to do these things. And all of a sudden, it's not just knowledge. Or it's not just a feel-good feeling. But it's, it's Christ becoming alive. Uh, think about it like this. The book of Matthew in chapter 5. Jesus gives the greatest sermon of all times. The Sermon on the Mount. You can read this sermon. It's amazing. The things that Jesus talks about, completely revolutionary. But here is what's different about that sermon. He could have just came down from that mountain and that be it. You would have heard a good sermon and you would have walked away and it would have been the end of it. But here's what's beautiful. Jesus came down from that mountain and then he lived it. Everything that he talked about, he lived it in his life. From the very beginning, his very first sermon, he gets up there and he says, listen, you've heard it said by them of old, but I'm telling you a whole new way. You can't, you, can't just, you can't just sleep with another woman and think that's adultery. You can't even do it in your heart. And then Jesus lived that life. And then all of these things, and that's what makes it awesome. That's what drew people to him, that it wasn't just these words that, that really didn't mean anything. It's that it touched his head, his heart his hands. It wasn't just the story of a God who, who stayed in heaven and just could have 
could have just fixed everything from there. But it's a story of a God who so loved that he came down and died for us. His head and his heart and his hands collided. And that's faith. And so remember what we said at the beginning, that, that this church is a, a letter being shared with this neighboring community of Laodicea. Now, if we were to open up the book, book of Revelations and we read what John writes to this church, he writes to this letter, church, and, and the predominant is this, I know your works, but I know that you're neither hot nor cold. Uh, I know what you're doing. As a matter of fact, if you look at all of the letters to all seven churches in the book of Revelations, they all have this one thing in common. I know your works. It doesn't say, I know your heart, and I know what you really intended to do, but you didn't never do it. No, it says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And yet, and then there's correction, and there's encouragement in these letters that gives. But then there's this thing to the church where it says, you think that you're rich. You think that you've got it all together, that you think life's pretty good, but the reality is you're broke, you're naked, and you're really in shambles. And so part of this letter to this church is saying, listen, I know you could have all the knowledge. I know you could, it could look on the outside like everything is going great. But don't be deceived. If your heart and your hands and your head aren't connecting and you're just taking this gospel message and you're just placing Jesus as, well, just another good guy, you're really broke and you're hungry and you're missing it. Paul's saying this, listen, don't get caught up. Don't get caught up with this vain philosophy that just says it's a really good idea. It's a really good way to just kind of live life. That's not the gospel. Uh, It goes on to say to get caught up with the traditions of men. Uh, And then he addresses that starting in verse uh, 11, chapter 2. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands. I'm going to skip down. Buried with him in baptism, uh, verse 13. Um, Sorry, let me skip down to verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink in regarding a festival or a new moon or in Sabbath, which is a shadow of things to come but the substance of Christ. In other words, all of these things that we talk about, baptism, uh, for them it was circumcision, Christ took care of all of the regulations of the law. And it's careful to just kind of turn this into an idea of like, it's all just a type and a shadow of different things where we talk about being baptized. And in baptism, we believe that you, you go under, representing your death to your life, and you come up and you are a new creation in Christ. Okay? Uh, he's saying it's very easy to take that and think of that as just a metaphor. No, no, no. Christ really died for you. Christ really bled for you. Christ really was crucified his flesh for you. And now all of these things we partake in, not by our own doing, but by coming underneath what he has already done for us. Okay, so it's not just some kind of good idea that, oh, now I will live this way and i'm baptized and i'm a new creation in christ like no no realize the implications of this it really happened christ really died and the same thing for us that 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 though we are just partakers in what he has for us 
the same expectancy, that we would die to the flesh, that we wouldn't live in just this kind of vain look of, of ideology, ideology, and it's just good to fill our heads with knowledge. No, it's meant to be lived. Christ's work on the cross was very real. Imagine if Martin Luther King gave his I, get, I have a dream speech and then just went home and watched TV. But yet, that's what we do all the time. See, it's meant to be moved on. If God's placed something in your heart to, to move in a direction, you've got to move. It's not enough to just touch your, your head and your heart. You've got to be a part of the game. You've got, you've got to put some work in. Uh, in religion, it's easy to point fingers. In religion, it's easy to look at and say, well, you should have done this and you should have done that. And, all. and it's easy to just sit back and sit on the sidelines and, and kind of referee the game and sit, point out where everything went wrong. Christ saying, no, no, no. That, that's, that's not the point of this. And see, when, when it comes to this, the whole idea of hypocrisy, you know, sometimes we have it in our minds that, well, that's the problem. Is all the, the Christians that say one thing and do another and, and just the hypocrisy of it all. Let me kind of have you look at that from a different angle this morning. It's not so much the hypocrisy of others. Because you know what? People are people. People say stupid stuff. People do stupid stuff. What more, I mean, can you expect? Christians are going to do stupid things. Muslims are going to do stupid things. Why? Because they're humanity. It doesn't matter. Uh, if you've got breath in your lungs, you're going to do something stupid. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, the problem lies with not the hypocrite, but the problem lies with the hypocrite in me. You see, it's not externalized into someone else's problem. It's my problem. It's the things that I say and I do that are contrary to what I believe and the life that Christ has for me. It's no longer someone else. It's, it's me and I try to sometimes put on this face of the Pharisee and the hypocrite and try to pretend to be something I'm not. You know, there's this famous quote that says, you were born an original, don't die a copy. It's okay that you mess up. It's okay that you fall short. You're not Christ. But Christ working in you, I mean, we, we can forgive you. It's okay. Your head and your heart have to connect and they have to, to manifest themselves in your hands. Don't be cheated, Paul's saying. Don't be cheated by thinking you could get away with just having a head full of knowledge or by putting on this religious suit that looks a certain way. It doesn't work. And then he goes on to say that this empty deceit according to the traditions of men and according to the basic principles of this world. In other words, there's a way that seems right to this world that is completely contrary to the teachings of Christ. You want to know a surefire way how to keep Christ from being the center of your life? You know, at the beginning of this message, I, I read this quote from Brother Lawrence and just showed how, man, Christ is the center of all things of when I'm washing dishes and when I'm mowing the lawn and, and, and when I'm doing these things with my family. Now, we can look at that and we can say, I want that. If you want a, a surefire way to keep that from happening, 
Go after everything that the world tells you is important. Live for the bigger house, the nicer car. Live for the fame and the recognition of others. Live for popularity. Live for the respect of men and the praise of your peers. Live for the power and the authority and the rulership. See how happy it makes you. Live as if you were the center of all things. I don't know about you, but life is no more depressing than when I become the center. Um, this uh, past week, we had some, and I'm getting ready to wrap it up here. We had some really, really good waves, and we're out there surfing, and there's this one guy that came out in the water, and me and Jonathan are out there, and a bunch of other kind of local buddies that all surf together. But there's this one guy that nobody likes. And I had paddled up to Jonathan, and I think, I think it was you I was telling this, and I said, man, I, I got to tell you, I just don't like this guy at all. I know as a pastor and as a Christian, you're supposed to love everybody, but this guy is annoying. He drops in on everybody's late waves. He just kind of, there's no kind of talking to him or no kind of mutual. And I told him, I said, you know, he doesn't even live here. I said, you know, I would think that if I was kind of an outsider coming in, I'd, I'd kind of want to make some friends. I'd kind of want to say, hey, you know, and, and I, yeah, I said, but this guy doesn't do any of those things. He just comes and tries to catch the best waves, and he's okay that everybody hates him. And, uh, just, you know, really annoying. I, told, I, I said, I know I'm not supposed to feel that way, but that's how I feel. And uh, I, I, I've been thinking about that. And uh, I just got how I was like, I told you, you know, I really feel sorry for the guy. But then I realized that's just how I am with life when it becomes all about me. See, when he's out there in the water, it's all about him and his wave. And it's the same thing whenever I live my life as if everything revolves around me. and It's for my happiness. I become that jerk in the water. And I become that person that nobody wants to hang out with and because I'm just seeking after, well, I'm the center. And Paul's writing this letter and he's saying, listen, if you want to, to know what it's like to live the dream, if you want to know what it's like to live the dream that Christ has for you, Christ has got to be the center of all things. Christ has got to be your center and not just another good guy. Not just another vain philosophy, not just another religion that you could put on, and it's surely not the wisdom of this world. Christ, the image, the, the image, the, the visible of the invisible God. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web www.coastalvineyard.org All who are weak All who are weary Come to the rock Come to the
Come to the sea.